Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you today's conversation with Dave and Deborah, who are lifelong educators and share their years of experience with us about what it means to deal with our kids. In our conversation today, we talk about parenting in a social media generation. We talk about listening and dealing with anxiety and pressure that comes with kids. And we talk about how to parent in a way that engages in conversation. There's some phenomenal practical tips in this conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. And if you are enjoying, if you're enjoying as much as I am, all this kind of stuff around anxiety, it's been so good to kind of dive into this topic with all of you. Um, I want to invite you to check out the the sermons over at restorationcenterville.org. We've been preaching on it and talking about it all month long, the whole month of August. This conversation is so important and it impacts so many. So check that out, restorationcenterville.org. And as always, the best compliment that you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend, tell somebody about it, invite somebody into the conversation around anxiety. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Dave and Deborah. I got two special guests today, uh, Dave and Deborah. Hello, guys. How are you? Hi, Tony. Hey, Tony. Uh, this is so exciting because this is my first time ever having more than one guest on. So uh, if I mess it up, forgive me in advance. <laughs> Why don't you guys um, tell me a little about yourselves, uh, where you guys work, what you do, your background, that sort of thing. Uh, Deborah, let's start with you. Okay, so I'm Deborah. Um, I am a school counselor in an area in an area high school. I'm in a public high school, about 900 students. Um, and this is my, I'm starting my 21st year in education, my 11th in my district. That's crazy. And um, you've got a master's degree in? Correct. Master's degree in school counseling. My undergrad degree is in English. So I taught first. That's outstanding. And you're married to this guy? I am. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> How many years you guys been married? 12. We, we just confirmed for sure 12 that it confirmed. is 12. Yes, yeah. 12, 12 for sure. Uh, Dave, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I am the director of campus ministry in a local Catholic high school. Um, I have been there uh, starting my ninth year there now. I uh, worked in Catholic education for, uh, for about 20 years now, both in secondary ed and uh, also at the University of Dayton for a little while as well. So. And you guys both grew up in the church even though, Deborah, you're not working in the church currently, correct? Correct. So you guys both have a faith-based lens that you were raised under, but Dave, you're the only one that is actually um, in a faith-based community. Right. And what do, you, what do you do at the local school, high school? So I'm the director of campus ministry, uh, so that means I'm in charge of running the retreat program, uh, planning all the liturgies that happen uh, throughout the school year, um, working with the service, project, uh, service projects that the uh, students do, um, and prayer life of the students, a little bit of pastoral counseling, uh, all of those kinds of things. In a lot of ways, it's it's a lot like a chaplain. Is that too far to say? Um, it is a lot like a chaplain. Uh, we have a, a part-time chaplain as well who's a who's an ordained priest. Right. Um, but um, he's there part-time and takes care of, uh, you know, doing sacraments and th- those kinds of things. And I'm there a lot of the rest of the time <laughs> doing a lot of the other stuff that's perfect that's yeah. exactly what we want to talk about the rest of the time because <laughs> <Right. laughs> in my experience when people are receiving the sacraments they're not thinking about their anxiety or pressures of life certainly hopefully they're just in the moment enjoying god's grace and presence right uh so 
I mean, let's just jump right into it. When you guys think of anxiety in your uh, students, and you, you guys each see tons of students every single day in, in, in 20 some odd years of teaching um, and being in those roles, there's no doubt you see a lot. What's the first thing that you think of when you think of anxiety, Deborah? Typically, so for my students, the very first thing that is anxiety producing for them is academics. They are stressed about not only performing academically, so whether for them that's getting, you know, straight A's or just, you know, passing, everything in between. Um, it's also um, where is this academic career leading me? So whether it's pressure from the outside, maybe it's societal or parents or somebody else who thinks you're going to, you know, it's a family of doctors, so of course this kid's going to be a doctor, right? Right. Um, and maybe that kid really doesn't want to do that. He wants to be a circus clown. So how do you how do you have that conversation? Yeah, or, now, and you're in suburban environments. Correct. I mean, like yes. we're, we're all kind of in suburban environments. So it's obviously different if it was urban. But um, when does that pressure begin to first manifest itself? So I work with grades 9 through 12, and it is absolutely already present in grade 9. So, so. A, a 15-year-old's rolling into high school, 14-year-old's rolling into high school, already thinking about what they want to be when they grow up. Absolutely. And, and, and picking not, courses. Correct. And right. if they're not, people are asking them those questions. You know, and that happens even in middle school as they're starting to schedule for high school. You know, in middle school, we're talking about exposing them to STEM and languages and all these different things. And they're, I mean, in some cases, 11 or 12 years old in sixth and seventh grade. So, um, So it's, you know an 11-year-old or 12-year-old kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, literally, some of them want to be a circus clown. They really don't know or they want to do, you know, they, they about 40% of them want to be gamers. Like, you know, that's, that's where their mindset is. They're not thinking not only emotionally and in a maturity sense, but in an actual brain development sense, they are not thinking that far ahead. They're not thinking that far into the future. I mean, when I was 12, if you asked me to picture myself 22, I was like a gray-haired old lady. And our kids do the same thing. Sure. They don't have that forethought. So to tell them, think about what you're going to do when you're my age. Oh, my goodness. They can't Yeah, will they still be alive? Will they <laughs> right. still be alive at our age? Right. So oh. it starts very young. Interesting. Dave, what about you? When, when you encounter anxiety in the campus ministry role that you're in, or even just in the high school, what's it look like for you? I see the, uh, definitely see the academic side of it that Deborah was talking about, but I also see a... Um, I guess it's, I would say it's like a struggle to find balance. So they're, mm. they're, they're anxious about academics, but they're also anxious about the, the three or four sports teams that they play on and what, you know, what positions they're going to get and how that's going to work out. And, you know, like, so there's, there's anxiety that comes from, from yeah, athletics. So let me ask you this. Do, do most of your students who have anxiety around sports play multiple sports? Um, I don't know. I, I, most of my students play multiple sports. Uh, it's the reality of where I am. Right. Um, that many of them play multiple sports. Well, cer- certainly in Centerville, it's, I mean, it's encouraged. It's applauded. Right. It's, right. you know, it, it's trumpeted, you know, like, yeah. oh, you know, kids multi-sport will, athlete. Kids will talk about, um, you know, taking one of the seasons off. Like, oh, I'm not going to play a winter sport this year and sort of feel like they have to apologize for that. Like, you know, oh, I'm, I, I, need to, I need to not do something this winter, so I'm, I'm going to have to take the, the season off. Like, that's like that's something that's unusual or they shouldn't be doing. 
Um, so yeah, so there's anxiety that comes from that. There's anxiety that comes from their like just their personal and social lives. I deal with teenagers. Their their social lives are you know a mess. Um, they're constantly changing from one minute to the next, uh, and so they're anxious about that. And they're anxious about like just all of that kind of together about a generalized sense of identity. You know, they're as teenagers, they're the number one task of adolescence is to develop this identity and they're struggling to, to figure out what that's going to be. Uh, and that's that in and of itself is, is an anxious time. Now is, is your, other pressures too. is your curious about, um, your master's in theology or is it in education? My master's is in, um, education administration. Got it. My bachelor's is in religious studies. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm really curious to see the kind of the tension between the faith-based and the, and the non-faith-based school, which is why I love having you guys on for this conversation. Um, so let me ask you this, whoever wants to answer first, how much do you think of the anxiety that our teenagers face today is parent-induced? Um, I, I think there is some that is parent-induced. I'm, I'm struggling with like how to put a number on that or a percentage mm-hmm. on that. I don't, I don't know how I would say that. I, I do think that there, uh, there, are, there certainly is some pressure that comes from parents, but there's also a great deal that is not parent, that comes from mm-hmm. society, that comes from just our, just the, the sort of Well, the identity and, stuff that yeah. you're talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, and from the nature of adolescence. It's, it's an anxious right. time anyway. Um, oh. So, yeah. It stresses me out just talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Deborah? I think, so I do see a lot of... Um, it, that's an interesting question because I I would say that a how do I want I'm struggling to put that in number two a portion of many of my students stress comes from that parent relationship um, but it's not always because the parent is pushing too hard or because you know they have higher expectations than the student or you know you know conversely it's not necessarily because they have an absent parent. Um, but it's it's that like Dave was saying the the nature of teenagers is angsty. So that relationship with their parents is often that way um, because maybe the parent does have different expectations than the kid. Maybe they have exactly the same expectations, but this kid is feeling like I need to gr- you know I'm growing up. I'm mature. I mean, we can all probably at least whether we want to or not, remember being 15, 16, 17 years old. And the last people for me that I wanted to hang out with was my parents. Um, That is something I have seen change generationally, I think. Like my students seem to be more comfortable spending Friday night playing games with their families. Like that for me 25 years ago was the last thing I was going to do, you know. So what's your Um, hypothesis around that? I mean, why is that? I think part of that is... That as parents, we have become more protective of our kids. Like when I was in second grade, I was jumping on my bicycle, riding down, you know, the the somewhat busy road between my house and my girlfriend's house. And my mom said, peace out, be home by dinner. Like that was it. Yeah, we we had a lights on (laughs) the um, lights, street lights. When the street lights came on is when we had to be home. Yeah. And I think I had we have a second grader. And the idea of popping my second grader on her bike and sending her down the road 
I know it's a good idea and I should do it, but it also makes me a little angsty. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that our kids, and especially our teenagers right now, I think there's always a, an ebb and flow in a parenting style by generation. Um, but the teenagers I have now, I think parents of this generation tend to be a little more protective, tend to keep their kids closer to home, tend to have a, a shorter leash on them. I hate to use that word because it's, it's, it's a, you know. Yeah, Whatever, but, it, but but it's twofold though, right? Because it's it's absolutely true. But at the same time, our kids have more access to the world. Absolutely, and it, I think that produces a very interesting dichotomy for oh, our kids. Man. How do you? So you have access to all of this, but you haven't really been given a lot of freedom or opportunity to explore anything. So then, when this is opened up to you, what do you do with it? Who's and and you know, as a parent, I mean, how do you? And I, I don't want this to sound negative towards parents because this is something we are parents, so we are, we wrestle with this as well. Like, I can't watch what my kids do every single moment, but I know that if they don't have, say, a device, a screen, a phone, a Kindle, or whatever in front of them, and something happens, we're out in the world, and something happens, we can sit right there and have a conversation about it. Right. But if I'm not watching over their shoulder and seeing what they're being exposed to, if they don't tell me, we can't ever have a conversation about that. So they're learning a lot of things without my guidance. So even though, you know, mom sent us off on the bicycle and we did our thing, look, I came home every day and we talked, you know, how was Aaron's house? What did you do? Did you have fun? Like, um, and we talked every day when we got home from school. And I feel like... There's a lot less talking. There's a lot less talking. As And that's I, that's not a, to put blame on a parent. No, I mean, say, there's, there's no condemnation. It's, it's just... How do we get into this dialogue? It is what it is. Yeah. Like we, and as, I mean, you know, as, as a couple, we both work fairly similar hours. We both, I mean, the kids are moderately busy, but our, our, our girls don't have a crazy schedule. But there are days that like at 930 at night, we put them in bed and we look at each other and go, well, we haven't even really talked to each other today. <laughs> it's been so busy. It's been so, so, you know, and I feel like some of that is, is that our lives are much more structured right. than they were, you know, when I was growing up in the eighties. Like they're they're much more structured. Yeah. Dave, how how have you seen angsty teenagers and angsty parents change in your years of education? Because uh, how many years have you been doing this again? About twenty. Yeah, you guys are are both two decades in. Right. Don't say it that way. I know. <laughs> I was say, it sounds horrible. Oh, oh. <laughs> you guys should be retiring soon, right? Right. How have you seen angsty students and parents yeah. change? And, and, and maybe the follow-up question to that is, how has your angst changed? I think that, um, I, well, I agree with Deborah. I think that I, I have seen it change for sure over time. Um, and, I, and I think that... Um, I, and I agree with a lot of what she said about about the reasons for that. But the, I think the other thing is there's a um, the influence of like the social media and stuff that kids have the access to social media um, allows for that to happen in a way. So 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 like when I was a kid, like I wanted to get out of the, out of my parents' house because I wanted to get out and see the world. You know, like I wanted to like go have experiences that were not connected directly with my family. Mm. And I think that was that's that's for, for that, a long and now time. you don't have to leave the house to see the world. Exactly, uh, you know, for a long time that was the essential, like one of the essential things you did as an adolescent. You you left, you know, you like mm-hmm. you had to get out. Um, kids are a lot more attached to their parents now, I think, because they don't have to to leave to see the world. 
um, the world is, you know, comes to them through their smartphone. But the version of the world that comes through their smartphone isn't reality. Well, tell me more about that because I think that's there are a lot of parents listening right now who haven't thought about it in this way. What does it mean when you say their version of the, the version because of what the world? because what you're so my kids get anxious because they feel left out, for example, of a social group. So sure. their friends are all going out and they have to, to stay home for whatever reason. So when that happened to me when I was a kid, the friends went out and I stayed home and maybe I was angry about it and then that was it. But when it happens to my kids now, their friends go out and then they sit at home and literally watch them go out. They, they get Instagram messages and posts and uh, Snapchats about minute by minute what's going on and they are reminded on a minute by minute basis of what they're missing out on of what's of what's not oh, it sounds like pure so, hell so right so i mean that i'm talking about anxiety like you know like that that creates this mm-hmm. huge anxiety um and the but what they see in instagram isn't of course what's really happening out there what they see on instagram is what whoever is posting that wants them to see and so we see this sort of distorted view of what of what's really happening you don't you don't see reality you see what someone else is trying to make look good, you know, what what someone else deems worthy of posting mm-hmm. on their, their social media, and then... Yeah, because people pose for the gram all the time. Right. 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 Uh, and I'm not putting when I'm cleaning toilets. I'm putting when I'm, you know, sure. out with my friends doing something fun. Like, no one wants to know when I'm doing the nitty-gritty work of being a mom or a homeowner or whatever. People want to know when I'm on vacation. <laughs> yeah. And so I think you have... You have you have anxiety because they because kids feels though they're because kids feels though they're missing out and they're getting a distorted idea of what they're missing out on. Like everything else in the world must be better than my life because look, I see it right on my phone every day. Um, and but that's not really real. Okay, so two esteemed, highly educated, experienced educators. What do we do? Oh, if I could answer that question. Well, one of the things I do is I provide as many opportunities as I can for kids to talk to each other face-to-face, which sounds really Now, do you feel like that that's a lost skill? Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, Mm -hmm. And, in fact, I I, I almost say I have, like, tangible evidence that that's a lost skill. Okay, all right. Kids will, like, sit down to, like, have a conversation, and they literally don't know how to do it. You know, like, well, you have to, like, look people in the eye. You have to, like, you know, just basic skills like that are... I had a I had a coworker today. This was just before I came here this afternoon. I had a coworker today who um, was on the phone with her own middle school child um, and said, "You have to learn to talk to your coach. I'm not going to do that for you. You have to." And this is I'm hearing mom's end of the conversation. I have no of idea course, what right. the other yeah. end of the conversation was, but you I I'm not going to do that for you. You can have the conversation, and then I'll follow up if I need to. But you need to learn to talk to your coach. And then there's silence for 15, 20 seconds. No, if you're not going to talk to the coach, then it's not going to happen. And so, I, again, I'm hearing only, you know, the one side of the conversation, but that's, you know, that's this mom trying to engage her own middle school child to have a face-to-face conversation. I mean, again, 25, 30 years ago when I was in middle and high school, if I wasn't going to have a face-to-face conversation with my coach, my teacher, my parent, whoever it was that I needed support or communication with, it wasn't going to happen. I mean, I guess I could write them a letter, but besides that, 
There was no other way to communicate. I Write them a letter on your word processor. Correct, or by hand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't, you know, there was no, there was no, oh, I'll just, I, I'm uncomfortable having a face-to-face conversation, so I'll run home and send him an email. You know, sometimes an email's great. If it's 10 o'clock at night and you've thought of something or you're working on homework, send an email because then I don't have to respond to it till the morning. I, I abs- there's absolute value in the way we communicate electronically. But when we rely on it completely, that's when we lose our skill to sit and look at each other and have a conversation. Um, and I think, you know, even sometimes our, our social groups at school. I mean, I have lots of kids who go home and they have great friends, people that they know everything about. And I, I have students who have literally never met that person. Like they've never looked them in the eye, but they game or they, you know, communicate on, they've met somehow on the internet, whether it's through gaming, whether it's through social media, whether it's through, you know, whatever. And they have these lengthy conversations, but they've never looked each other in the eye. And that I think is, that is something that I worry about as we move forward and as 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 social media becomes a larger part of our lives how do we remain connected to each other on that level of you know of that physical level of eye contact of you know and 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 that elicits emotional connection with someone like you know it's very easy to get angry with someone that's on a screen because you don't have there's no emotion involved there. oh there's no accountability for there's, the emotion either right now you can say ridiculous things and no one can look at you in the eye and say that's ridiculous right and or you know it, when when we were young if you if someone said something really terrible to me or if i said something really terrible to someone else i don't I believe could that could ever see. happen you should <laughs> <laughs> you you could see you can see the you know the disappointment yeah. or the anger or the shock on their face and that's when like to me, that's like the check, like, whoa, I crossed a line I shouldn't have crossed. Yeah, I just, and, I just hurt someone. Yeah. Right. And I think that that doesn't happen when you can't see a response. And I think the flip side of that is also true. Like, you know, like what, when you speak to someone face-to-face, you can, can talk about something and share a story that you can't share on social media or in an email. You can convey emotion, and you can feel like you've been heard. Um, and so it's not... Not only is the negative thing true, the, the positive side of that is true too. Like for for conversations face to face, you can you can experience empathy. You can experience uh, a sense of you know compassion from other people that you can't you just that just isn't as tangible when you're not face to face. So and when I when I see like when I do kids going on retreats, we'll go and spend some time with one another and we'll have a chance to like sit and talk face to face about something that's going on in their lives and they feel like they've been heard and all of a sudden they're less anxious about it because someone listened to them, for real listened, like and responded and said, oh, I hear you, I understand. Um, that that little thing makes a huge, huge difference. So you use uh, retreats as one of the ways to, to make that tangible practice yeah. and for those of you who don't know what a retreat is, it's intentional time away to focus on relationship with each other and relationship with God, right? Right. Um, do you do you take cell phones from kids when you're doing that? We don't. We don't take them. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> that sounded like a legal <laughs> a legal disclaimer. <laughs> we we strongly encourage uh, that they not have them or they not bring them at all. Uh, when they do bring them, we you know encourage them to leave them behind in their rooms for the day. Can you punish? Can you punish a student? I, I can. 
Um, and I, I, I go back and forth about whether that's beneficial or not, because I also don't want a student to be on retreat and who's going to be angry at me and then shut down because he can't have his phone, and then he's not going to have any experience of growing from the retreat because he's just shut down and angry about this. Do about kids go into any so, sort of uh, withdrawals without cell phones? No. In fact, the kids who go... Who go so we do a uh, a four day retreat program. They leave on a Tuesday afternoon and come back on a Friday afternoon, and um, they uh, over that time we encourage them not to use their phones or to use them as little as possible. And almost to an individual, the students say they are amazed at how great that was. That that they didn't realize how stressful it was to constantly be checking in all the time and how great it was to like unplug and to have a conversation with people that wasn't through a device. Now, Deborah, in the, in the public sector, you obviously can't do retreats Correct. for the purpose of connecting with God. Right. H- uh, how do you facilitate or how does your office facilitate intentional conversation in person? So that's a good question. So we, it, the reality is, is it's similar. It's just without God as the focus. Mm-hmm. So we do, um, and they start in middle school, um, and, and every many districts do them and they call them something different. Sometimes it's... You know, it's challenge day or it's, um, it's, we do challenge day. It's, you know, but they do sometimes character day. It's got a different kind of name, but it's basically an opportunity for kids to step outside of the normal school day. So, you know, they're in the gym or sometimes offsite entirely, depending on what, you know, the, the school's facilities are like, um, we remain on site. We just use the gym, um, and gives them an opportunity to break up into groups. They have topics of conversation, they have speakers, they have, it's, it's an opportunity to connect with each other. So it's very similar to a retreat experience. I mean, it's my, I spent my first eight years in private education, so at, a, at another local Catholic high school. So um, doing retreats there and doing like challenge day with my own students now is incredibly similar. The, the difference is obviously that the, the specific references to prayer, to God, those don't happen. Now, in individual group conversations, there may be a group of students who all of them find themselves, you know, particularly faith-filled for some reason, or they share their faith experiences as a part of mm. who they are. And then it's, we, we don't, um, I think that that can sometimes be a misconception about public education is that we cannot talk about religion and we cannot talk about God and we cannot do that. And that's not necessarily true. What we can't do is force anyone to do that. Um, so if a kid comes into my office and talks to me about something that's happened to them that they're nervous and upset about and they're a particularly faith-filled kid or God plays an important role in their life, um, then they'll talk to me about that. Uh, and I, I can have a open conversation with them about that. I just can't say to them, oh, you should pray about that because that'll help you. I I can't give them that kind of advice. Um, But now if a kid comes in and I know who they are and I know we've had these conversations before, I might ask them, you know, do you pray about that? I know you've, you know, I know they pray in the past or something. So, um, so sometimes it will come up, but it's not something that we can facilitate or provide for them. Um, But in the, other beyond that in the group experiences the students have very similar opportunities and very similar experiences um some other things we do outside of just one day opportunities like that 
um, is we have a lot of different clubs and social groups and um, we have a mentor period during our day which is like a homeroom um, and it gives kids an opportunity to participate in some of those groups some of those clubs um, and it gives them a chance to do that face-to-face together you know they'll I mean and it ranges from you know maybe they're planning a Christmas um, mitten drive then they get together and work on their mitten drive so there's it's you know it's your typical like school club type opportunities but having it during the school day gives kids a, a, a defined opportunity to work and meet with each other sometimes it's tutoring and you guys um, do no cell phones during that time we do if they're in something like that we again we don't say no but we limit you know say if you're engaged in a conversation with someone we're going to leave the cell phone you know right. out of that and and they do i mean that's really i think that for the most part they do now we also have you know we've got 900 kids in the building so at any given time half of them are in their homeroom class just you know hanging out and at that point you know we we don't take phone we don't a percentage of percentage of students that carry cell phones oh the vast majority, 90-some percent, 97. probably. <laughs> I mean, there are a couple that don't. You know, like mm-hmm. a, a few come to mind who are who intend, like, I know they they do not, but... Okay, now, how old are your, how old are your girls? They are 7 and 10. All right, so uh, what had thoughts on raising them in this angsty world? You've seen it, you're living mm-hmm. it, um... You know, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording. The, the girls don't do a ton of sports, but they're, they're both active in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, when are you going to give them a cell phone? And are, are you? Uh, maybe, maybe I should start mm-hmm. there. So we have this conversation fairly frequently when, you know, come home from a rough day at work that's been precipitated <laughs> by drama on social media. We talk about how our kids are never going to Listen, I can't even imagine what you guys have to deal with when it comes to what pictures are sent oh. and oh. oh we don't even well you can just leave that there Damn, that sounds horrible <laughs> it is yeah. yeah there are days that i you just see things you wish you never saw um but mm. i um so there's a there's been kind of a movement i don't know if that's the right word i want to use there's been some research and there's been um some stuff that i've read and i've read pro- both professionally and as a mom um, and there's been kind of a push to encourage wait till eighth. So that's waiting until eighth grade for your child to have um, a mobile device. Um, our girls have Kindles. Um, my older daughter is an avid reader. And if I bought every book she wanted to read, I would never buy groceries. So she downloads a ton of books from the library. She uses Overdrive. Um, and they they do you know, use it for, they look at, you know, PBS videos and they're young still. So they're not, you know, they haven't started getting too much into the social media. They do not have social media accounts, my seven-year-old especially, but even my 10-year-old does not have a social media account. Um, And I am honestly more concerned about limiting that access than I am the mobile device itself. itself. Um, But um, eighth grade, I think is a good start. My sort of philosophy on it is as long as I as long as you're not transporting yourself I know where you are like I'm if I if you're not driving yourself I've dropped you off or I've arranged for someone to drop you off or pick you up or you know and and every parent who's involved in that 
is also communicating with me through a mobile device. So if you need to get a hold of me, there's a way to do that. I mean, it's easier than it was when we were kids. You had to find a payphone. Like now, you know, they, it, it's much easier to find someone that has a phone. True story. When I was um, in high school, I, I did have a pager. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. I I'm re- still too old for that. I regret it. <laughs> but, yeah, we um, – so I think – I mean, personally, I, eighth grade is – I would not be earlier than eighth grade. I mean, I – I don't, unless something changes, you know, dramatically in our, you know, family situation or something like that, where there's a real need to communicate. Sure. Um, I think social media accounts are tricky. Like, mm. you know, in an ideal world, I'd like to, you know, at 20, six, yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> or even at, you know, at, at late middle school, when everyone else, you know, it, it becomes a, it becomes a situation where do I want to hold firm and therefore marginalize my kid? Like, do I want to hold firm on this and say, you're not having any of this access and, you know, she's one of four kids who's not on social media, you know, for example. So it's a fine line between not angering them and not marginalizing them and also being reasonable and responsible with it. So, you know, in an ideal world, I'd set up an account that we both look at, that we both, you know, kind of enjoy together. You can... Um, there are some social media platforms. Facebook is one of them, um, although kids don't use it anymore. I know. <laughs> it's so dead. But there are some you know, social media platforms that have sort of a kid version where a parent can monitor what's going on, but the, the kids can have some autonomy with what they do. Um, I mean, I've long said that I will always, that as long as I'm paying for that device, I will always have access to that device. Um, now, there's... Um, a really great speaker, and I, I I can get back to you with his name because it's escaping me. Yeah, right I'd love now. to put it in the show notes. Um, but he is, um, and he's been to our kids' school, and he's spoken at, at schools around um, about social media and like things parents need to know. Um, because you know, I can say, "Oh, kid, I'm always going to have access to that device," and I can grab that phone and you know put in the put in the code and look at it. But if you're not real careful with how you set up your you know privacy settings and all that on the phone and um, they can download apps that hide apps. So I can have an app that looks like a calculator, but when you click on that oh, app, man. it's really, you know, where you're hiding the apps you don't want mom and dad to know you have. So, um, so I think it, it, you probably just gave like 20 people a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> so it becomes many, you know, there's many layers yeah. and it's very, you know, it's very multifaceted. It's so, it would be so, um, easy to say we're just never going to touch any social media but the reality of that is not possible i mean if even you know my girls ride the bus home i have no control over what the girl on the bus has on her phone and what my kid sees as a result of that right and and you know the reality is when we were kids no one had any control over what the kid on the bus next to me said i learned a lot more from bus rides and lunchroom conversations than I ever did from conversations with my parents. So that that hasn't changed. And kids are still curious, learning, exploring, doing all kinds well, of things. Well, back to what Dave said. It's all identity stuff. Yes. Right. Yes. They just have access to a so whole much lot more information than we ever did. Now, Dave, I'm going to assume that you're in agreement with what she said. I am, yeah. yeah. 
That's, yep. that's a good parenting. <laughs> I'm just saying. Right, right. We should have that conversation yeah. first, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and I, actually, I was before Deborah started talking about it, I was going to add that, you know, like having, being able to be aware of what they're looking at and talking with them about it, I think, is, is really the key. We're never, you're never going to be able to control everything they see. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to be able to, to limit their access, you know, perfectly. They're always going to, they're, at some point they're going to encounter things that, that are out there, you know, like that's just, mm-hmm. but cre- creating an environment where we can talk about that and I know what's going on and they are comfortable talking with, with one, at least one of us about what they, what they're seeing and what's, what's going on with them is, is crucial. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't changed. That's, as, you know, that's been, that's just good parenting. Talk to your kids. Um, is uh, uh, so whether it's the, social media or not, talk to your kids. I wish people could have seen your face when you said, talk to your kids. Because <laughs> it sounded like that was full of like years of like, my job would be so much easier if you talk oh, to your kids. Yes, that's so true. <laughs> okay, so let, let me ask you this. Let me put on your uh, educator hat again. All right. And specifically, Dave, as working in a faith-based school, someone comes into your, your office, a student who's having all of the feelings, the, the angsty, the, the, the world, the weight of the world's on my shoulders, I'm, I'm having a hard time dealing with it all. And we, we've all probably been there as adults, and, and we've probably seen students there. What, I, I, talk me through what that conversation looks like. So the, the first thing I, the first thing I always ask whenever a kid comes into my office is, so what's up? Um, which is, is, it's just such a simple thing, but um, but if you ask a kid, what's up? Nine times out of ten, they tell you. I mean, more than you want to know most times. They just vomit it out. Because they want to talk about it. You know, if, if, right. they're, if they've worked up the courage to walk into my office because they're anxious about something, they want to talk about it. They're just looking for the, for the opportunity. Um, and so then my job is just to listen um, and to, to hear what's going on and to validate what they're saying, let them know they're not crazy, that um, they are, uh, that what they're feeling is, is, is what they're feeling, and that's okay. Um, and then I always try to, like, find, find out, like, who they can continue this conversation with. Who are the support people in their life that they can turn to to, to talk about these things? Do they have their parents, friends, um, a counselor, uh, a teacher they trust? Uh, any, whoever that is, someone that they can... Or, or maybe it's me sometimes. Someone that they can continue to turn to and talk about whatever they're feeling when they're they're going through whatever it is they're going through. Um, and then it really varies a lot from situation to situation. It depends on what they're anxious about and what they're um, what they're going through. You know, from there, uh, there isn't any like any single thing or any one thing yeah. I do. It depends on what they say. And is kind is of there any set there. like coping skills? Like like if if you think about the most consistent coping skills that show up when you talk to kids. Is there one thing that you tell kids to do? Um, I tell them to talk to others, to talk to people about it. I tell them to pray about it. Um, I tell them to, uh, those are the two. I tell them to talk and I tell them to pray. I mean, really, that's yeah, it. No, I, I, I mean, I, that's, it's simple. That's, it's not easy, right? Ex- correct, execution correct. of those two things has eluded many adults and students for generations. Correct. I, I mean, I, I can remember, uh, not necessarily my dad, but my dad's dad never talked about the way he felt at all. It was it was unheard of. It was stoic manliness was kind of a, 
right. kind of the way to go. So, I mean, this isn't new, but it's not necessarily easy. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Deborah, what about what about you? Do you, um, when somebody, same situation, student walks in and is feeling all the feelings, what, how do you approach it? It's really similar. Um, so I, that is almost always my standard first question. What's up or what's going on? Like, oh, hey, what's going on? You know, what, what do you need? Um, Why are you interrupting me? That's what I would say. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, and and sometimes it's simple. Something we can talk through in five or ten minutes. You know, they're um, nervous about, I I mean, I'll get a lot like, I have a test next period and I'm kind of freaking out about it. Okay, tell me about, tell me why. Did you study for it? No. Well, that might be why you're freaking out about it. So let's focus on how much you know and how much you, you can draw from your memory and why don't you take a couple of minutes and read over those notes Hopefully they took them. Um, you know, so it's sometimes it's really simple, and we just talk through it. If it's one of those more, you know, the weight of the world is on my shoulders, something really yeah, my know, home life traumatizing has right. happened at home, or, um, you know, they've had a, a, a significant breakup, which to us as adults can seem... I don't want to use the term petty, but we often downplay kids' relationships with each other. Um, You know, we think, you know, oh, honey, you're going to have a million more relationships between now and, you know, the end of your life. Or you're going to, you know, that's that's one friendship or that's one boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And so we as adults tend to downplay that because we have the benefit of experience. We have the benefit of knowing, yes, that's going to get better. They don't have that. This is, you know, for some kids, they come in. My boyfriend broke up with me and we went together for four months. Well, you know, for us, like, I mean, four months, that's a baseball season. Not even. So, right. you know, but for that's, kids. That should be a baseball season. <laughs> Sorry, that's a different right, podcast. Right, but. right. Well, okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, for for these kids, that for some of them, you know, if you're 14 or 15 years old, that is a long time. And that relationship is really important to them because at that age, they're just figuring out how to do that. They're figuring out how to have a relationship, how to open themselves up to someone. So once you've done that and then that relationship ends, it's crushing. Um, and we have to remember that sometimes as adults. That and then, we the, and then they have to watch it play out all over social media. Absolutely, which we never had to do as you know, young as uh, our generation didn't do, but they I do. I constantly thank God for that, by the way. That, oh, I, that, oh, yeah, because yeah, that would. Mm. I might not do what I do if social media had been around when I were a kid. So hmm. seems like there might be a good follow up question there somewhere. <laughs> so, but I'm gonna let it go. I think, you know, I think. So I think I have to remember to check those emotions mm. when someone comes in and see that to them what feels like the weight of the world to me might be like, oh honey, come on, like. I've, I've, can't, I've handled more than that before breakfast, you know, and, but that it doesn't matter. Like if it's that weighty for them, it's that weighty, like whether I think it is or not, you know, my dog died. Well, you know, we, we're all going to experience something like that in our lives. But if it's the first time they've experienced loss, which mm-hmm. is possible, you know, if their, you know, family is intact and their grandparents are young and, you know, or maybe they don't have a close relationship with, you know, certain people who, it could truly be the first time they've experienced loss. And we all know, you know, we're going to do this a hundred times, but they don't. And so to, to diminish it and say, you know, oh, it's just a dog or, oh, it'll get better, or, you know, to kind of to kind of diminish their feelings because we know it's 
in the grand scheme of life, it's not a big deal. For them, it is. So I always try to remember to kind of check my own feelings about things and just really listen to what the root of the issue is. Um, and then from there, we talk about how are, I ask them, how are you going to handle this? Like, what, what are you going to do? And some of them say, I don't know. And legitimately, some of them have issues that I don't know how they're going to handle. So that's when I have to, you know, go to, to, to more things in my hat in terms of my expertise and not just a conversation, but, you know, talking about counseling, talking about, um, you know, getting other people involved, yeah. those kinds of things. And sometimes it's something that we can just talk out. But I ask them a lot, how are you going to handle that? And who do you have to support you? Just like, just like Dave said, you know, for some of them, it is family. For some of them, the family's the problem. So who's going to support you outside of that? Do you have a neighbor? Do you have a close friend that when things get really stressed at home and, you know, maybe that's where the problem is, is in, is at home. Maybe it's, you know, it could be a million different things. Parents are going through a divorce and there's, you know, that's stressful to watch them. You know, maybe even if they're doing it amicably, it can still be stressful to just watch the process of separating. Um, you know, it, there's a million things that could be going on at home that doesn't necessarily mean major trauma, but just difficult for a kid to deal with so then I say do you have a neighbor do you have a friend within walking distance that you can just say hey I'm gonna go for a walk my you know my kids are high school kids so they're old enough to you know I can't send a six-year-old off you know hey go right. walk away but um but high school kids you can you know do you have someone you can go to and just say hey can I can I hang out for an hour I just need a little break from the tensions at home or um I ask them is there anybody that you talk to at school and sometimes that's me. Like, that's my role there. Um, so sometimes it's me, and we know we'll set up, you know. Why don't you just pop in and check, you know, why don't you just check in on Tuesdays? We'll see how everything is going. You pop in my office, we'll touch base. Sometimes it's for two or three minutes. Sometimes it's for 20 or 30 minutes. But they know they have a consistent time and place that they can come in and get some support and some help. Um, so that's that's where I start. And then, again, there's so many different issues and so many different things that come up. Um, but I think... Like, the one thing I really would want to say to especially parents who are listening is, like Dave said, talk to your kids. We think we're going to screw it up. Like, we think if I say too much or I talk too much, I'm going to mess it up. Or, you know, I'm going to not say the right things. Kids don't care. Mm. Like, and, and especially if you open the conversation with, you know, like, I ask my girls, how was your day? Well, when our older daughter was, you know, seven or eight, I'd get, like, kind of a rundown of the day. She's 10 now. How was your day? Fine. Well, that question doesn't work anymore. Right. Like, tell me your favorite thing about today. Was there, I always ask them before they go to bed at night, tell me your favorite thing about today, and was there anything that you didn't like about today? Was there anything that disappointed you or hurt you or made you angry? Um, and then it opens the door for them to tell me, at that point, you're yeah, just listening. Yeah, totally just listening. You're not doing anything. Totally just sending listening. Sending emails to anybody no. about what they're... We do like, it when they're... I do it when I put them in bed at night. So yeah. when I'm laying next to them at night, you know, kissing them goodnight, I ask them those two questions. What was your favorite thing about today? Sometimes it's as they're getting ready for bed, if it's, you know, one of those crazy days and it's sure. late and they need to be in the bed. Um, but I try every day to ask them those two questions because it gives... Rather than... It, it doesn't give them the, the opportunity to say, fine. It gives them the opportunity to actually tell me something that happened. 
sometimes it'll be a great fun day. Like you know, the other day we did, we went to an amusement park. What was your favorite thing about today? Everything. I loved everything about today. Great, awesome. Right. Like, um, the other great thing about that is the the routine of it. So the the girls, our girls, like expect that to the point where if we don't ask that question at night, like they ask me, mm-hmm. you, you know, like, Daddy, we didn't talk about your favorite thing today. What was your favorite thing about today? So um, so it becomes, you know, the the routine of it becomes a... Well, certainly kids can be trained, they can, they right? Can, they right. can depend on, and then mm-hmm. it's, and then it becomes a skill that they have, you know, right. that they, they can use to, when I'm anxious, I can think about what was good about today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a great technique. And I, one point to, that I thought of just as Dave was talking is that I let them ask me that question, and I answer them age-appropriately as honestly as possible so that they know, like, I don't always have a perfect day. And things aren't always, you know, sometimes there are things that I love about my day and sometimes there are things that were really, really hard about my day. And, you know, obviously I don't, I can't dive into a lot of it with them, but I answer them honestly so that they know that they can answer me honestly too. You know, was there anything you didn't like about today? No. I say, nothing, you know, and, and then they'll ask me and I'll be honest with them. And sometimes it's, you know, I didn't really like my lunch today. Like, it really didn't taste very good. But at least I've given them an answer. And so they, I mean, almost always answer the question. Yeah. Like, with more than just nothing or everything or, you know, there's, they, they will, they've gotten into that routine where they will tell me most times what happened that was good or bad. I think the other, another key too is, is not feeling like that I need to be responsible for fixing the anxiety that, that my own kids bring to me or that my, my students bring to me. I know when I was when I was younger, like earlier in my career, it was something I kind of struggled with a lot. My kids would come to me and I felt like, oh my gosh, they're bringing me this great big problem. I need to somehow fix that. I need, I need to help them with that. That's what they're expecting me to do. Um, and I have learned to, to let go of that arrogance I think is what that really is oh. <laughs> um, and, and to, that I you know that I that I could somehow do that you know I'm not going to be the one that's going to fix whatever problem it is that they have I can't do that um, God can do that maybe they can do that maybe you know like there, there are people that are in their lives that are going to maybe help them with that um, I need to be able to let them talk about it so that they can figure that out so would that be um, if a parent was sitting in front of you or if you could give a message to parents uh, one thing I'm hearing loud and clear is, is talk to your kids. The other one, is it is it let them figure it out? Is it let them deal with it? Or is there another message it's, you think it's... It, it's it's let them deal with it, but don't take that the wrong way. It doesn't That doesn't mean, you know, oh, let them figure it out. You know, it'll be fine. You right. know, uh, it, it's not, a, that's not a hands-off, uh, you know, approach. It's, it's um, allow them to, to work through it, but walk with them through that process. To, mm-hmm. to, to guide them. Engage and with them in, in yeah. problem solving. Uh, right, mm-hmm. exactly. But to allow them to, to work through it so that they feel, so that they know that they can. Um, there's, th- that calms your anxiety to know that I've got this. I can figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can't, then I know someone's got my back. Someone's walking alongside right. you. Right. Yeah. That's, I think that's huge. Yeah. And that's, I think too many of our parents sometimes today, and I've been guilty of this myself, have have gone in to rescue my kids from problems that they should have just figured out on their own. Right. And sometimes I do that in the arrogance of my own life or for what I perceive as the sake of time because watching my seven-year-old daughter try to figure out her car seat 
might be the most maddening <laughs> thing. I, just, yes. I really and, wish I was a better person, but I'm not. And so sometimes I'm like, and just shove her in the car and let's go. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. I've yes. definitely been and there myself. I would say that. And, and I, I like to ask a lot of questions, just like Dave was saying. Like, rather than provide an answer, ask the question. So, how are you going to solve that problem? Or, what are some ways you can solve that problem? Let's look at two or three options. Like, so, you know, kids come in, and I'll use a simple example. Like, kids come in, and I've just completely bombed a test. It was terrible. My grade is in the toilet, and I'm never going to go to college. And these are, like, this is, like, how they manifest all this right. out, right? It's the fantasy. So, like, right, like, one bad grade in geometry means I'm not going to college. Well, again, we all know that's not reality, but they are, in this moment, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. So that's when I'll ask them questions. Well, how are you going to solve this problem? I don't know. Is there a retake policy in your class? No. Okay. So you you can't retake that. You can't do anything about that grade. So how do we move forward from here? Well, I'm never going to go to college. Okay. But how are we going to move forward from here? Like, And I don't even address that piece of it at that moment because it doesn't matter. I can tell them, oh, honey, yes, you are going to go to college and there's a place for everybody, which is true. Um, But they don't they're not ready to hear that They're They want me to feel bad with them. And I don't want to feel bad with them. I want to walk them through that emotion and move them forward. So, you know, okay, how are you going to solve this problem? What are you going to do next time that might produce a different outcome? Um, You know, and you have to handle that. You have to talk to your teacher. Maybe you need to correct that test because you need to know those skills for the next chapter. And we'll walk through, like, what, you know, I'll have the kid come up with two or three different options. What am I going to do? Which one do you like best? You know, what do you think? How can you see yourself getting through that? Um, And that, I think, would be, like, my piece of advice in terms of, you know, the parents I deal with is let the kids let your child handle that small problem because how they handle that small thing we just talked about this last night how they handle that small thing is how they're going to handle that big thing so they may never experience any real major loss or trauma or you know dramatic situation their entire high school career but if you've let them manage the little things then when they're in college and something really does happen. And, you know, I hate that something is going to happen, but it will. You know, eventually right. in our lives, we are going to deal with loss or trauma or um, illness or something is going to happen. Um, so if we've let them all along the way build those skills and make those decisions and feel confident in their ability to do that, then when they're faced with that big thing, they're going to handle it the same way they handled that little thing. Um, so I, I'm guilty of the same thing. Like, you know, my kid forgets their lunch money and they only get to buy lunch once a week and they've forgotten their lunch money. It's real. I really want to just say, you know, I want to call Dave's closer to him than I am. I want to at school, I want to call and say, Hey, can you, you know, can you just drop this off for them? Or they forgot their gym clothes or whatever the case may be, you know, but no, like is is anything going to happen differently if I don't take them their lunch money or I don't take them the homework they forgot to do or I don't drop off that envelope that they were supposed to bring in? 
you know, unless that envelope they were supposed to bring in is something super important and my responsibility, they'll turn it in the next day. And if they don't get, you know, if they forgot their homework and they don't get points for it, she is in fourth grade. Like, right. that's okay. Right. You know, right. like, the yeah. world isn't no, going to end I over like that. It. And but, it doesn't matter what grade she's in. Right. She's a junior in high school, and it's an important chemistry assignment. It's not still not the end of the world. Right. It's, it's all going to and be And for them okay. to know that and to yeah. know. And when, if it happens once or twice, you know, I mean, there's been a couple of times she's come home at the end of the school day and said, I left my folder on the counter. Oh, yeah? I see it. You sure did. And then, you know, she does the typical kid thing, which I also did as a kid. You didn't put it in my backpack. Honey, it's not my backpack. I pack my own work bag. I pack my own lunch. Like, you got your responsibilities. Okay. And and even in my students, like, you know, I'll get lots of emails, lots of phone calls. We're, we're beginning a new school year right now. So the thing that, that I'm dealing with the most is schedules. And I'm getting, I get lots of emails and lots of phone calls from parents about, yeah making schedule changes and um, that would be one opportunity where I would say to a parent your kid has an email address at, at school email me have I, w- I want to have this conversation with your child I want to walk through you know what what elective does your child want to take if you want to be a part of that as a parent great come in together I'm totally down with that but I want your child to be the one to communicate those kinds it. of things with yeah. me there are times as a parent it is appropriate that you call me and say, hey, just wanted you to know Johnny's grandma's not doing well and he's really having a hard time and I want you to know the background so that you can check in on him. Absolutely. That's that's how you stay involved with that. But, you know, I think I think as, as parents, and sometimes, like you said, it's for the sake of time or right. efficiency or whatever. It's not that we you know, are always trying to protect our kids from having to do stuff, but it's like it's just way easier if I make a list and do it, right? Um, but we need them to learn how to make that list and do it. Yeah. Okay, so um, I th- I'm going a little off script here. You guys have mentioned n- 900 students in your building, Deborah. Correct. How many students? About 600. About 600. Yeah. So you've got about 902 students to take care of, <laughs> and you've got about 602 students to take care of. How do you how do you take care of yourself? I mean, you deal, you deal with a lot of stress. You're in um, and really pressure-packed positions that, uh, I mean, you're obviously not in it for the money, right? <laughs> right. Depends right. on who you ask. And so, um, <laughs> well, that's so you also have to deal with school levies in, in the public sector. But um, as, as functional, healthy adults, how do you deal with your own stress and anxiety? Uh, I try to follow my own own advice and to talk to people about what's bothering me and to pray about what's going on. Um, Is is that easy for you? Because I I feel like... Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds easy, though, doesn't it? it? Uh, I was was like really hoping for some magic bullet or something. (laughs) We just solved the world's problems on the Reclamation Um, podcast. Yeah, right. Um, but I think it is that easy to say. I think we want to create, you know, or at least I do sometimes, you know, like you want to create some like, you know, process or some big complicated thing. Well, if I just do these six steps, then, then I'll be, you know, then I'll always be able to manage my stress and always be helpful. And I don't think it, I don't know. Those for me. Do you have a routine for talking people in, in prayer? What's your, I mean, can you share either, like it it get really granular here? Like, right. So for prayer, I try to pray, um, each evening when I go to bed, I just take a few minutes to, for 
prayer, and usually that's just quiet and you know informal kind of prayer for me. Um, I've been uh, I I've started running just recently in the past few weeks. I've been back and forth with that off and on throughout my pretty much entire life. I have a love hate relationship but with running. Yes, as well. I do too. Um, but uh, but when I do it, it's not only good exercise; it's also good like spiritual time. It's yeah. time for me to like to think and to pray and reflect on what's going on in my life too. Um, so it has a, a double benefit. Um, and so when I'm good about doing that, that's a that's a healthy thing that I think I do too. Um, yeah. Deborah? Mm-hmm. So Dave and I are pretty different in this way. Hmm. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, Dave is much more introverted than I am. I am, of all things personality-wise, I am the strongest extrovert. Um, so I do, I, I'm kind of the opposite. Like, I, I definitely, it, where it is hard for him to talk to people, it is not hard for me to talk to people. Um, and sometimes that's the problem. Like, sometimes that's anxiety-producing in that I feel like I am going to solve everyone else's problems. I'm going to solve my problems. I'm going to solve the world's problems by, you know, just talking to people long enough and convincing them that we can solve these problems, right. you know. And that that can actually be anxiety-producing, and I need to just chill out. Um, but I, I would say probably for me, definitely talking to people. I mean, I do. I am a... I am definitely a people person. I do not have he he needs that like quiet time to pray and be introspective. I thrive on being with somebody else. Right. Like if that's you know, sometimes it's the girls, sometimes it's Dave, sometimes it's friends, you know, whatever. But I I definitely I always tell the girls it's how I draw my energy. And I draw my energy from other people. So like, if I was left alone for two days, that would be anxiety. No, solitary Rip, confinement is my definition I, of hell. Just I so we're not, all clear. Um, I, I, that is not, I get lost in my own thoughts and I start, I go down, you know, the rabbit hole of what if this happens and that happens. And so I'm better when I'm engaged. Um, that's also exhausting. So um, I am pretty, we both are really, um, especially with the girls, but I am a pretty firm believer in a really good night of sleep. Mm. Um, and I work very hard at making sure I am... At, at, my preference is an eight-hour night of sleep. It becomes When's the last time you had that? Well, like two nights ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's strong. But almost, I mean, almost always during the school year, it's seven, between seven and eight. Do you do seven to yeah. eight, too? Yes. Do you guys go to bed at the same time? Most usually, of the time. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys pray together before you go to bed? No. No. We don't usually pray together. Just, I was just curious. Just yeah. kind of seeing no. how that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, strongly Maybe recommend Maybe at it. the same time. Like, perhaps it's happening. Like, we're both laying in bed or whatever, and I don't know what he's thinking and he doesn't know what I'm thinking. But, right. so, Side note, possibly no, simultaneously. Nothing has changed my marriage more than praying over my wife every night. Mm-hmm. Just free tip. Free tip. <laughs> I'm stronger. I make all the couples I'm doing premarital counseling for pray for each other in the premarital process, mostly because they're already living together. But that's a whole different, again, a whole different podcast. Okay, this has been so good, so good. Last question I always like to ask all my guests is uh, if you could go back 20 years ago, starting off in education, young Dave, young Deborah, maybe you guys, I think you guys were in the Lalonde house at that point in mm-hmm. time, they just getting yeah. started. That's about the time we met. Right. right. What's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself if you could go back and, and talk to young Deborah? 
Ooh, I would say two things, and one of them I'm piggybacking off of what Dave said earlier, is number one, you're not going to solve everyone's problems, and you're not, like, I think a lot of us who go into education feel like we're going to go into education and we're going to be everything to everyone. Like, I am going to be that person that my students idolize and love and are just going to feel comfortable with. And, you know, eight weeks into it, you've got kids calling you names in class. And like, okay, well, I'm not that person. <laughs> They're not idolizing me like I thought they would. What is wrong with them? So I, I think, I think number that, that would be number one, is you're not going to solve everyone's problems, and, and you have to be realistic with who you are and what you're capable of. Yeah. Like you, you know, if, if I give everything to my job and my students, I have nothing left to give to myself and my family and my friends. And that's not fair to them and it's not fair to me. So balance. I would I would talk a lot about <laughs> talk a lot about You guys can't see it, but Dave is definitely laughing at Deborah <laughs> right now. I'm laughing because you're stealing mine. <laughs> <laughs> I would talk a lot of I would tell myself a lot about balance. Um, and also um, something I learned a long time ago and it was it's 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 basically to to go slow to go fast, and I know that sounds weird, but no, it's a military thing. But to right. to to take your time to make things happen. Like I, I I've spent a, enough time in education to know that if there is one constant in education, it is change. Right. So I mean, you know, we've had I have four classes of students in my building, and three of them have different graduation requirements. Like they're there is one constant it's change so take your time be thoughtful and thorough as you're moving forward with your career i think that's what i would say dave so. yeah she pretty much stole mine <laughs> no, um, at least you guys are aligned <laughs> yeah right. right um like i said earlier you know the the thing about um realizing that i'm not going to save people uh that i'm i'm, go- I'm there to, to to help and to to sort of get out of the way and let god do the work uh, is something that I've really learned a lot over the course of my career. Um, so that for sure. Uh, and then I think, uh, I think just to be patient. Uh, the 22-year-old me was very idealistic and very, like, um, thought that, you know, everything was just all going to work out. Like, you know, that I, I was very... Uh, optimistic about about just yeah. everything in, in all of life you know everything was just going to come together and then it hasn't in the past 20 years and and i've been frustrated at many points along the way because you know life just isn't coming together like you know like i thought that i thought that you know the world would be saved by now what's 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 the hold up on that <laughs> right um so to yeah. be patient uh and to i guess it's part of the same thing to be patient and to, to let go of my need for control or my need for 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 affirmation or whatever my needs are and to, to let let things be. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You're you're preaching to me for sure and I love every minute of it. So thank you both so much for taking the time and for investing in the next generation and for what you do as educators. Um, I, I typically offer um, ways to, if they, people want to follow you, but you guys both really aren't on social media in that capacity, right? No. no not yeah, really. yeah. So I, I, any, any resources that you guys follow that you think people should follow, this is your free opportunity to plug anybody, anything you want. 
Um, there's nothing in particular, but I would just recommend like whatever like whatever it is that's going to, to help you you to grow spiritually or intellectually. Read something that's inspiring every day. Mm-hmm. That's that's different for every person, but the but that everyone needs that that daily dose yeah. of, of inspiration. So maybe that's as simple as reading the scripture every day. Um, do you do a do you do a, a mail in devotional? Do you get any email devotionals? We do at, at school. We get a, a daily Bible course every morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it could be something as simple as that. Yeah. Um, and there's a million. A million. I, I couldn't even right. recommend one. There's a mil, there's a million different yeah. things out there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. We we uh, I'm a big fan of the Uversion Bible app, and they do a mm-hmm. Bible. They right. do a verse of the day, and a lot of devotionals on there. Yeah. Deborah, any accounts you think somebody should follow? So no. Well, no. I don't because I don't really follow anybody, and I don't. I would. I don't want to jump out there and put something out there. Right. You guys then have you to follow di- it and be like, oh my. You guys gosh, have a digital crazy. footprint of a. So, it's a very small digital footprint, which <laughs> yeah. is okay. So I don't. Um, but I, I would echo what Dave said about read or find something that you're passionate about. Maybe I mean, maybe it has something to do with your job. Maybe it has something to do with your kids. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, I'm a pretty avid reader in general, and I think that helps me grow. That makes me a smarter person. It makes me a more empathetic person. And I try to read a variety of things. Like, you know, if you read a memoir and you read about, you know, things that are happening to people you become more empathetic. If you read, you know, if you read Neil deGrasse Tyson, you become smarter. So, right. <laughs> so picks and pick something they're interested. In. It doesn't even really matter. Just, um, sure. you know, and, and, and I also, I, and I would, I would temper that with one of the, the reasons I don't follow a lot on social media. One of the reasons I don't get a lot of my information from social media is that it can be very daunting. You can, you can follow, you know, somebody, you know, like there's one food blogger I, I used to follow um, because I'm interested in food. It's just a side thing. Yeah. Um, but I think. No, I like food. Um, yeah, but it becomes very, um, like I almost felt very overwhelmed by like her perfect plates and her perfect portions and her perfect, you know, calorie counts. And finally I was like, put an Oreo on the plate. Like, you know, so I feel like sometimes you follow somebody uh. and it can become, you can become. Yeah, they, too absorbed yeah, in it and feel like they identity, are too right? idealistic. It's exactly what so, we've been talking about the whole time. So just pick identity. something that's that's good and, and go with it. And if you don't like it, choose something else. <laughs> don't, don't power through something you don't like. That's good. Again, thank you guys so much. Such a rich conversation. Strange, random comment. Do you, get, uh, do you guys know the Enneagram? Yes. What numbers? Do you know? What number you are? Uh, well, I haven't taken it forever. Um, but a five when I took it, oh, like yeah. 20 some years ago. It makes a lot the, of sense. The thinker, the, the deep it. thinker. You've never taken it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. My guess is uh, you'd be an eight. I'm an eight, and it yeah. resonates with that kind mm-hmm. of need to challenge yeah. everything. Yeah. And, and not right. in a bad way. Just <laughs> is, is yeah. who right. we are. Right. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate the time today. And uh, I want to encourage everyone to continue to subscribe. Uh, Lots more conversations around this topic. Lots of different viewpoints. And again, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this conversation. I hope you found it as life-giving as I did. You know, one of the ways that you can be sure never to miss an episode is to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I myself love to use Overcast. 
Um, I found that it's just a great way to manage all of my podcasts. There are about 10 I listen to on a pretty regular basis, and I don't miss an episode because I always subscribe. The other thing that you can do is tell somebody about the the podcast. We're always trying to get the word out. Maybe there's somebody you know who's dealt with anxiety or other parents or friends group that just need to hear this conversation. Dave and Deborah dropped some incredible wisdom that needs to be shared. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you for all you do to support um, this opportunity that I have to do podcasts. And I just appreciate all of you. Our next conversation will be with Grace Kilroy. Grace is a former student alumni now, I guess, is at Centerville High School. She was in our Fellowship of Christian Athletes group. And she talks about, from a, a student's perspective, what uh, sports and anxiety and all of it means. It's a very vulnerable and honest conversation with a pretty um, neat young lady. So look for that next week. And again, the best way to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you real soon.